All right, guys. Well, of course, welcome back to the Flexible Dining Institute research review that we have most Fridays. And uh, I've got this nice little habit where on weeks that I do a mind-muscle connection podcast with Tyler Weeb, and I feel like it has some, some great relevance to those of us dieting in general or, or just looking to be our, our healthiest, best selves. It's a, it's a chance to pick out a, a research uh, article or study and break it down. And um, we have not done this in a, in a few weeks or a couple of weeks where I actually have one single study and can break it down into the, the methodology and so forth and was able to find one that I thought was really good this week. So th- this will be uh, kind of a simple research review because we're just going to go through one thing. It's not a meta-analysis, but it's it's a really, really good one with some interesting points. So uh, when I talk about assertiveness, I was joking off camera here with uh, with some people that it really is kind of a, a, a call, almost a siren song for introverts because we are the ones who have a very difficult time being assertive. And I, th- there are some correlations to this that I, I really want to point out that I think you'll like. Uh, PowerPoint's not working. There we go. So this is a little bit of an older study. And I actually thought for a moment that, that maybe because it's 40 years old, there should be or could be some better updated information but when I read through this, I thought, no, this one is just fantastic. This is really good for a couple of reasons. Uh, they, they even in this, looks like it is exactly 40 years old, uh, even, even mentioned Dr. John Gottman, who has been in practice for at least 40 years. So he is uh, revered as one of the best marriage and family therapists of all time. And so it was, it was really interesting to see him even early in his career mentioned in this. But the, I think the title here says it all in terms of what the, these research researchers ended up finding, which is, is non-assertiveness, you know, somebody who's kind of passive, is that a skill deficit? Are these people that we have to say, no, no, you need to assert yourself. You need to be strong. You need to take up space. You need to advocate for yourself. Or is it Okay. Uh, and, and, you know, how, how do we perhaps just, just deal with different personality types? So uh, I, I think they went into it looking at it as a skill deficit, and, and they had some interesting findings. So here's the premise I'm going to take right out of part of their introduction. While assertion training has become a popular clinical activity, see, they, you know, psychiatrists, psychologists at the time thought, you know, we need to help these people. Factors contributing to the etiology of non-assertive behavior have not been adequately studied. Most treatment programs have adopted a social skill deficit model, which views non-assertiveness as stemming from a lack of social knowledge or behavioral competence. However, only a few studies have directly investigated the adequacy of this model by comparing the behavioral performance of assertive and non-assertive individuals. So let let me get into how they set this up. Um, Well, first, a little, little bit more on just the premise. Both self-critical thinking and the drive for competence are linked to the self-evaluation process. The desire to be all competent suggests that non-assertive individuals set excessively high standards for their behavior. Critical self-statements would be expected to follow failures to perform up to such standards. Thus, apart from behavioral incompetence, it may be that non-assertion and its concomitant anxiety arises in part from self uh, negative self-evaluation. 
concomitant. Mis misread that. Um, I have an interesting little story. Uh, and part of this, I'm probably going to share the, the, the full story when I do my interview with Tyler Weeb, and we talk about this more conversationally. But I, I like how they framed this, that we, we all want competence and non-assertive people tend to evaluate themselves negatively. And you're, you're going to see that's a big part of the study. But those of us who are introverts, and as Dan, you've pointed out to me, I'm, I'm more technically an in, in ambivert. I mean, I'm I'm 100% introvert, but in social situations where I need to come out of my shell, I'm, I'm okay doing that. But an introvert is somebody who needs to kind of pull away from the crowd uh, to recharge. They're they're the ones who, you know, would rather not be the life of the party, just kind of sitting in the background watching watching things go on. Um, but my wife is an introvert's introvert. Like if if, if I think I'm an introvert, she's she's ten times further down the road. And we were having this conversation. We were going up to visit her parents. Um, we had to go to a family funeral and uh, her parents invited us to their, their house first. And I thought, man, we're already driving six hours there, six hours back. We get up at four 30 in the morning. Um, we just don't have time. Like, cause it's a, you know, we're going to be going 20 to 30 minutes out of the way, then 20 to 30 minutes back you know, to where the funeral is. And then we have to go back and go back. And Tracy said, yeah, absolutely. We, we won't go. And I said, well, they're going to ask you and you're going to have to say no. And she's like, yeah, I know. I know. And I said, well, well, we should, we should practice that. So when you get that phone call and, and we did, and she was like, okay, you can see her like all gung ho. Then her dad calls and she totally caved. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. We'll come over there. Just totally caved. And, and this is so funny because they addressed this in this particular study. Uh, so then we had, we had a regroup moment. I, I said, okay, we're, we're going to their house. But now uh, on the phone, because I could hear her talking, I heard your dad say, well, we'll just drive together. I said, so you have a chance to redeem yourself because then we would have to go all the way back. And now we're going to spend another hour instead of just, you know, coming back home. So I said, you're going to have to tell them that we will drive separately. Like, thanks for the offer. It would be nice, but we're going to just need to kind of take off right from the funeral. So I could see, you know, we had to practice again. Yeah, like we practiced it and Tracy had it down. And then as soon as I heard her dad ask that question at the dining room table, like I, I just kind of beeline for the bathroom. I'm like, I don't even want to hear how this goes down. And, and I thought I would also just kind of take the pressure off of Tracy. And as I'm walking down the hallway, I heard her kind of stumble through very timidly. I mean, she's 51 years old and is still acting like, you know, she's the little girl with her parents. And so she's very nice and sheepishly like, well, dad, you know, we'll probably just have to, it, just like we practiced, she was able to do it and bam, there, there we go. There was a win for the introvert. But that, that is what assertiveness is like for somebody who just doesn't have that extroversion personality trait. And so when they talk about critical thinking, self-critical thinking, uh, I, can, I see this all the time with, with Tracy and with other people in that, you know, Tracy would just say, I'm not good at that. 
I can't do that. I'm not that person. I'm a horrible at that. And that becomes a, a true self-fulfilling prophecy with assertiveness. And, and what I want to talk about today, at least in our discussion of this, is when it's healthy to be assertive. Because, you know, sometimes you do want to yield to other people. If, if you have something that you're looking for in a context or relationship and somebody else has something else and, and there's any potential friction, somebody has to, you know, yield or both people have to yield somewhat. But it tends to be the the non-assertive people who just get walked all over all the time. And then of course that, that can just build up as resentment and so forth. And so it's always better to just try to, to push through these situations. And as Tracy did in this very, very benign, non-consequential moment with her parents, it's, it's at least practice where you say, wow, I can do this. I can assert myself and, and, and it worked, you know, nobody got hurt, nobody got offended, nobody, you know, didn't, it, it was totally fine. And yet I was able to do something for myself, advocate for myself. So that's why this is important uh, because we talk a lot about with our lifestyles, how, you know, Kevin, you were mentioning in my, my post to introduce the topic that there, there are people who get angry that we may say no to certain foods or we may not want to engage in certain things because we consider that's not aligned with our health goals. And so yeah, I think this is very relevant to our population. So here's the method of this study. They took 50 university students. I think if I remember the title slide, it was at the Brit University in British Columbia, Canada. Uh, 50 university students, half male, half female, uh, young, and they actually asked, there's a couple things they did here that I thought were really unique. And that's what made me want to stay with this study. Uh, they actually asked on the survey application, we want people who consider themselves very assertive or non-assertive. We don't want just a cross section of anybody. We want people already thinking like, wow, that really describes me. I'm on this end or I'm on that end. And they ended up, um, you know, with a with a good good swath uh, that you'll see here in a second. Uh, they took them through an inventory inventory that actually discusses or, or measures assertiveness by discomfort. You know, how comfortable are you in this situation to assert yourself? And they even did an irrational beliefs inventory, which would be kind of uh, catastrophizing. You know, like. If I assert myself, then this may happen. You know, bad things will happen. Somebody won't like me. I'll, I'll ruin somebody's life. You know, very irrational beliefs. And so to give you one part of the study, because this was just going in, this wasn't even part of the study. They just had them do these surveys, inventories to, to get into the study. And, and uh, just by a wide margin, you can see the difference if, if the normal generated uh, population would be around a score of 95 as an average, the assertive people described themselves as 80-ish. You know, that's where they scored on this inventory. And the non-assertives, uh, 112. So you see a, a pr pretty even distribution away from that line. Um, so let's let's see how, how they did. They, they ended up creating these, these mock video scenarios. So they hired graduate student actors who would create these scenarios where the, the subjects would have to get into these environments that were uh, confrontational. And they, they wanted them to go through scenarios that were very non-assertive or assertive or even aggressive. You had to deal with somebody, you know, like that, that, that person, you know, punching somebody perhaps on a, 
on an, on an airline because they're not uh, on a flight because they're not wearing a mask or something, all, all that stuff happening right now. They use the five point scale, just kind of a Likert scale. Um, and, and they actually had the, uh, they had besides the grad student actors, so besides besides the the people who are creating those scenarios, they also had trained psych students rating these. They would videotape these scenarios, and then they had the subjects themselves rate themselves. And, and that was one of the big measurements: is they wanted to see the discrepancy between how the rater would rate you and how you would rate yourself. But here's what's also very very interesting: they told the subjects exactly what they were going to encounter. So they could practice, like they could in their mind, they knew what was going to happen. And I thought that's really strange because in, in any kind of a behavioral model, wouldn't you just want to kind of surprise people? And, and wouldn't you just want to kind of see how they naturally act? And, and they they said in their discussion that, that that was certainly an option, but we really wanted to give them their best foot forward. So like the story I just told you about Tracy and how even when we had practiced, even when she knew the scenario was going to happen, like I I told her exactly what was going to happen and we practiced it, she still totally caved in and was non-assertive the first time. Then it took her that second time. So I I think these researchers, these psychologists probably knew like non-assertive people are truly non-assertive. So we're going to really give them the advantage of having this scenario up front. You know, like I described in my post, you know, your grandmother or your mother-in-law is going to be angry. You didn't, you're not going to eat her pumpkin pie. You know, your spouse or your partner's going to always resist this because you've had this fight before. So a, a lot of us who are struggling with assertiveness, you know, we know we're going to encounter these situations. We know we're going to the social event and it's going to happen. So I, I think the researchers just truly wanted to, 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 to be a little bit more lifelike in that way. Uh, and then part of the way they did, you know, I mentioned here that they, they measured this biometrically. And, and, and it was more visually biometrically. So, so shifting, you know, looking down, hands and foot movements, like the rocking, you know, all the things you do when you're nervous. Um, D- Dr. Gottman later, like I said, he was not part of this study, but just because he was mentioned or at least cited in here, he has, he has made a career of that. If, if you ever want to read relationship counseling material or see things on, on YouTube and video form, Doctors John and Julia Gottman or Julie Gottman, uh, they have been in Seattle doing this for more than 40 years. And they they have their 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 marriage counseling practice set up. They they call it the Love Lab because the entire time they've been doing this research, it's been very much uh quantitative. They when you do counseling with them, you have to agree to wear skin sensors, heart rate sensors. They're measuring your temperature, skin changes, sweatiness. They, they, they train video cameras on your eyeballs to measure exactly what's happening. Like when your, your partner says something and there's that subtle little eye roll or your pupils dilate or something like, like when they do research, they want to do research. They want to see what's happening inside your viscera. So, so it, it's interesting that again, you know, John was not part of this study, but, but, you know, some of the, some of the things that, that predates, you know, his research, you know, we're already in involved in this. 
So as I mentioned, they had trained psych students who are independently rating this. And so they would have two particular students you know, rating this independently. Then they would cross examine those. They would, they would see what those differences and measurements were like. Then when that, they would have these subjects rate their own experience in, in, and I'll show you some of those results. Um, and, and one of the things, like I said, they, you know, they, they actually instructed the non-assertive person to act as assertively as possible. However you think is the most responsible, respectful way to be assertive, this is your chance to pretend you are that person. So we're putting in this scenario so you can be that person. You can finally stand up for yourself and, and we're going to, you know, we're going to see what that looks like in this study. So here's what's really, really interesting. And this is, this is one of the most profound take-home messages for anybody who struggles with this. In the self-reports, so the subjects who were reporting their own behavior, look where the non-assertive subjects rank themselves on that comfort scale and their, their irrational beliefs, as I said, their level of tension so this is this is not the raiders doing the the rating, you know, not the not not the investigators. Uh, so off the chart, especially when you get into that, I think it's GIAA or GAII inventory. Um, you know, here here was that here's where that eighty and one twelve kind of comes into play. But then you go all the way out to um, you know just that perceived tension, and and they they did not measure themselves as, as uh, you know, assertive in those moments. But now look at the observer ratings and we're gonna look at the discrepancy. So in just assertiveness, so was that person actually assertive? The assertive people said, we'll use them as kind of the baseline, like, yes, we were at a, at a 3.88 scale. You know, we, we were assertive. The non-assertive are almost 25% below that. But look at the observer ratings, barely under. So they, that you know, just just completely indistingu indistinguishable, like a, a double blind type study where they the the raters did not know which were the assertive and non assertive people going in the personality traits, and and so they just had to rate it based on what they were seeing. So the non assertive people, given the chance to act as if they were assertive they were pretty convincing. They, you know, even when you look at, you, you just go down the line, you see it's almost the same split across the board. Their effectiveness, uh, which I'll, I'll, I think, I think I have it on the next slide. I'll go over um, their level of anxiety, their likability, uh, you know, everything is just a notch lower. So coming back to that self-fulfilling prophecy, if you are Tracy and you are pretending to be assertive and you're actually doing it. Remember the first phone call with her father, she failed. You know, she just didn't do it. She just caved in, gave up in a self-critical way, said, I'm just not that person. I'm just going to let, I'm going to let somebody else control my day, control my destiny, control my life. Even though my husband and I agreed, we're going to do this. I totally gave in, in the moment, under pressure. But if she acted as she did the second time, acted as if she was assertive, still being very couth, very polite. Oh, dad, thanks so much for that offer. 
but you know, we need to get up early tomorrow. We're losing an hour getting back. We got to, we're going to just, you know, take off right from the funeral. Totally fine. It's like, oh, okay. Sounds good. No worries. You know, her dad, you know, didn't think, oh my gosh, you're offending me. Oh my gosh, this is awful. Oh, what happened to my little girl I raised? Who's, where's that nice girl at? You know, everything was just fine because Tracy acted, quote, as if she was assertive. So, so here's, here's one of the discussion points. Assertive and non-assertive college students did not differ in behavioral performance when role-playing assertion situations. In the protected lab setting, these non-assertive subjects demonstrated inability to produce assertive behavior. However, the non-assertive subjects rated themselves as less assertive, less effective, more anxious, and the non-assertive subjects' self-ratings were generally in agreement with the observer ratings. The assertive subjects, on the other hand, were significantly more positive about their own performance than the observers had been. Had been. So, so this is what's kind of funny too, a little sidebar. The really assertive people, they were you know, kind of cocky as assertive people tend to be. And, and, and they thought they were even more convincing and, and good at it than, than their raiders. Um, but the non-assertive subjects functioned more like trained raiders using stringent evaluation standards while the assertive subjects were more self-accepting. So confidence goes a long way on, on both sides. So give me some uh, give me some feedback on on what you guys think about this. I think uh, you know I, I know I, I share some of the um, introvert traits. Yet at the same time, Dan, I think as you and I have discussed, my my occupation, your occupation as a public speaker, you you t we tend to at least I'll speak for myself. I, I have always been kind of enamored by good public speakers. I've been enamored by confident leaders in knowing that I've chosen a profession in an occupation where it helps to be a better leader. I've, I've really studied people who are effective communicators. And, and for a very long time, I took it on as an actual skill to develop. And and it truly, most of the time, is like acting. It's it's becoming somebody I'm generally not. It's I I don't love being in this situation, but I know it's good for me. I know it's good for other people. I know it's good for whatever mission I'm trying to accomplish. So I will be that person, and I will be damn good at it. You know that that has become my my role toward extroversion in leadership. But at the same time. I, I can easily become a Tracy in personal situations. And, and then you almost have to have those talks with yourself again and say, well, in this personal relationship, I still need to be that person. I still need to advocate for myself for all the right reasons. Uh, I can do it so it doesn't compromise a relationship with somebody else. And, and here, here's what I mean by I can divert right back to being that introvert. How many times do we in our personal relationships or even professional relationships, we know that in this somewhat conflicted area, you know, where we, we don't like what somebody's doing or we feel slighted or we feel like there's some tension and all it would take is having a conversation Yet most of us just sit back and we just kind of pine away and just wish it would go away, wish it would be resolved, but we're not willing to be assertive enough to step out and ask for that conversation or that attempt at resolution. I'm still that person. I'm still, I still become the introvert in those 
difficult situations when it truly matters most. So you're, you're the leader, Dan. Tell, tell us how to do this well. Uh, and, uh, uh, that was a great discussion, too, by the way. I think that um, uh, as far as public speaking is concerned, some of the great public speakers are, in fact, introverts. And like you said, uh, they've learned how to act or be as if uh, in the spotlight. Uh, so that's one thing. The other thing is, as far as uh, introverts being assertive, uh, one of the things that was coming to my mind is, uh, you know, in Tracy's scenario, and my wife has very similar, uh, the level of conflict was relatively low. Uh, the uh, consequences of disagreement relatively low. Uh, when the pressure is on and the consequences are more severe, uh, and that's when it becomes, I think, more detrimental and more dangerous. Uh, for example, uh, if you have a scenario where the other person's pressuring and you strongly feel uh, uh, in disagreement but don't communicate that, that's where the damage to the relationship and to your own psyche comes into play. And somebody could become a time bomb uh, because both my son, as you know, he's got multiple uh, degrees like you, uh, highly intelligent, but he was ranked the most uh, introverted student that Stony Brook Medical Center ever measured, <laughs> ever, right? So he's way off the charts. Uh, so what happens is, uh, in somebody like him, and my wife is very similar, uh, under pressure, that introversion uh, causes internal tension. And then when the expression is made, it's usually inappropriate. So I, I think what you're saying is critically valuable because uh, telling the introvert that you don't have to feel comfortable but can do it anyway is great advice because the consequences of not doing that uh, can uh, add up over time. You know, you're reminding me back when my wife and I were at a critical juncture. There, there's only in 30 years of marriage, there was one time where I just thought we weren't going to make it. We're going to get divorced. And matter of fact, I, I kind of threw out this ultimatum that if we don't get counseling, like I'm thrown in the towel and, um, you know, we, we need, we need to talk with somebody. And as mm -hmm. soon as we met with one counselor that we both agreed was going to be our person, uh, he instantly saw the need to work with Tracy individually. And uh, he knew he knew I would want to work with him individually as well, because I'm the one who wants to learn and grow and do all this stuff. And he gives us homework and I've come back and I've read five books by the next week. And and the reason he said I need to work with Tracy by herself is, you know, th th this was not even part of our issue. Uh, it wasn't even part of the reason why we went. But he saw in her you have to learn to speak up. You have to learn to speak for yourself. And it wasn't that I was trampling on her in our relationship. That wasn't at all. But she felt like in anything, she just, she didn't have the confidence to speak, to be autonomous, to be independent. And he really needed her not just to articulate it, but to feel like she could, whether she did it or not, she had to feel like she could. And, you know, there was almost training for her to be able to say, you know, fuck you, Joe, like, you know, you're not the boss of me, you know, we're equal in this marriage. And again, 
nothing to do. Like I, I, I'm more yielding to her because I've always wanted to push her out of her shell. And, and I'm telling you, man, that counseling changed her life, you know, because again, it wasn't just that dynamic in our relationship. It was in her personally. And so now in other relationships, not just with me, like she did become a different person. And it was, it was truly, I think, life-changing for her because of what you're describing, the anxiety that she would, you know, just feel internally that she never had any power or she wasn't supposed to use power. And now she does, you know, now she's, she's still sweet little Tracy, but she's, she's confident, you know, she's, there's a little, there's a little pit bull in her now. Yeah. And look at her business is internationally thriving. Uh, because this is what I was kind of getting to. Uh, in personal relationships, you hold it back. Then in business relationships, you, you hold it back. And it stops you from growing and from succeeding and going to the next level. And, you know, from what I've seen, I mean, uh, you know, her business is it's exploding. Uh, and it's pretty difficult to uh, make these the deals uh, if, in fact, you're not... Um, uh, able to communicate what your expectation is as the entrepreneur. So it's helped her in lots of different ways. Well, the interesting thing too, Dan, is that that inner confidence, like I said, it doesn't change her demeanor. It doesn't change who she is, but like right now, so it, you, you've been in my facility. And so, okay. you know, there's a couple of desks kind of in the back in this administrative area back where she's kind of in her lab, making all her products and all this stuff. So, a lot of times in the morning, she's sitting there behind a couple of monitors, she's doing work. And, and in the mornings is when I will work with a couple of clients, you know, a couple hours every morning. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she's, she's behind her computer screens doing her thing, but just in the middle of a conversation, I may be having with a client now, like she'll poke up and say something and laugh and be part of the conversation. And I mean, sure. you know, 15 or 20 years ago, she wouldn't have said a word. She wouldn't even feel like she could muster up the courage to just, just be part of a conversation that's happening. And it, mm -hmm. it's just, it, it's truly, as you're describing, acting as if. And, and once you've done that a few times, you get the confidence and you realize, hey, this is actually kind of fun being a part of humanity and, and other people and, and being heard, you know, having the confidence that, you know, people may want to hear from me and that's okay. Yeah, and when I, when I saw your post, as Kevin mentioned, what came to mind at first was, since the holidays are upon us, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, uh, how dangerous it can be for, in reference to the Flexible Dieting Institute now, uh, folks who, are, who have worked all year to get to a certain point, uh, they've transformed their bodies, then they go see, you know, Grandma or Aunt Ida, like you said, and rather than say, uh, you know what? I'd love to have a little piece. Uh, let me just cut off a little slice of that pumpkin pie, as opposed to letting Ann Ida slop this gigantic, you know, uh, 800 calorie piece of pie with ice cream and whipped cream on top. Not that I'm against whipped cream. I know you've got to, you enjoy it. Uh, but it's critical. Same thing with, um, I was thinking about New Year's. Uh, alcohol weakens one's um, uh, willpower. So you go to a party, you decide I'm going to have two glasses of wine and that's it. And now your best friend is talking to you. Come on, let's have another glass. And next thing you know, you're, on the, you're hitting the pepperoni and the cheese and the, the olives. And 
boom, next thing you know, you're 3,000 calories over for the day. So I think it's important that you brought it up now so that people can realize, hey, I may be uncomfortable when I'm, you know, at my neighbor's Christmas party, but I can say, hey, I certainly do appreciate it. I'm just going to have a little bit. And that's a great strategy. Yeah. And, and that timing wise, that is why I brought it up. I, I have a list of, of topics that I kind of sort through and I thought, yeah, we got to get this in. We, we kind of missed Thanksgiving. Um, we got to we got to get it in here now. But I, I, I want to emphasize just the fact that from from a non-assertive personality perspective, when you just are conditioned in your self-critical evaluation skills, don't make you feel comfortable enough to even stand up for yourself. Once you learn that you can and you gain the confidence, usually those are the people who do it the best. You know, just like I showed in the study where the assertive people were almost overconfident, they rated themselves better than even the raters rated them. It's somebody who is conscientious enough, and that's partly why they're an introvert to begin with, that will say, oh, you know, this is amazing. You're right. I would love to have a little slice here, but, you know, I'm going to. I'm going to, I'm going to save some of my calories for that great other dish that you made over here. And, you know, they can be complimentary. They can be self-effacing, self-deprecating and inclusive. It's not a stiff arm. It's like, like no, I would never do that in so, some kind of self-righteous, you know, conflict oriented way. And, and I think that's really important because once, once you learn how to do that, you almost teach those overly aggressive people a better lesson because, you know, I can imagine the person on the other side of these conversations are usually pretty overbearing. Oh, why don't you want to eat this? Why don't you ever be like us? Why don't you do this? Blah, blah, blah. They, you know, they're, they're kind of assholes. So for you to lean into like being very nice to them, it really diffuses the situation. And then they're like, oh, well, yeah, I get it. I get it. And, and pretty soon in these relationships, people just know just as if you had a peanut allergy or just if you, if you were diabetic and you couldn't eat certain things, they just accept the fact that, yeah, that's, you know, you make better decisions for your health. How can that be held against somebody? But, but we have to be the ones who at least are consistently, nicely assertive. And then those situations just kind of go away. You know, if, if somebody, all they have to do is peer pressure you into something and you, you yield, they'll just keep doing it every time. It's only when you assert yourself that they'll, they'll finally get it. And they'll be like, well, I'm not going to bark up that tree again because I know the answer. And by the way, you just, uh, what you said was beautiful. Tact and diplomacy. So you start off with a compliment. Wow, that looks delicious. Or, oh, that cake is beautiful, right? I'll try a little bit. I'll have a little taste later. You know, which is, it's so disarming when you start off with a compliment or something positive, as opposed to, like you said, try to stiff on people away, it's endearing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, that's great. Well, I know, Kevin, you are, you're in that soft, bendy kind of position. You're, you're a nice guy. So um, how do you do in this? Is this someplace that you've had to evolve a little bit or where are you now in your life? Be sure to timestamp this because I'm going to send this video to my mother-in-law and say, fuck you, basically. <laughs> um, a lot of parallels, I, as you and I have spoken, you know, regarding our relationships or you know, our wife relationships over the years. But 
also tell me the name of the counselor if he's still practicing because it would probably be the identical circumstance where it's just a matter of Andrea has confidence issues and that just bleeds into our relationship and everything else. But um, can, I, can I stop you for one second there, Kevin? Sure. Um, because again, I want to emphasize like you, just like me, you can say, I wish my spouse had more confidence. I'm not, I'm not holding them down. I want to push them forward and we're, we're not the kind of, I mean, we're too close to the situation. Like they won't listen to us. So to have that objective third-party person say that, like, I'm not saying this just with you and Kevin, but I'm, you know, you and everybody else, like you, you need to be you. And, and then that will come full circle back into your relationship. But yeah, I, I have spent a lot of our marriage, you know, trying to push Tracy forward into, you know, just, just being a little bit more of a self-advocate, you know, not not to fix our relationship, but when she did do that with a counselor, it was miraculous in our relationship. We made it 10 years of the same bantering. So hasn't killed me yet, but 20 more years is all I have remaining, but, uh, that's your red line. That's my red line. Um, (laughs) It certainly has evolved, you know, I didn't really say much in the beginning in terms of anytime I was assertive with my dietary choices, it was in well into maintenance more or less rather than active weight loss. I just, just didn't eat out for the most part. Uh, at that time, that was just a choice, but you know, had I, I would have done it differently at this point if that was the case, but that's, that's beside the point at the moment, but I used to be quite diplomatic, I would say, especially with my mother-in-law, just, you know, especially at that time, we were just newly married. So although I pissed her off many times already, but I don't want to necessarily do it with something of my choice, but I would say my mother-in-law is not very high in emotional intelligence. I would also say Andrea's can be the same too, but um, whether I'm nice or mean, she just doesn't get it or not respectful of my choice or my, my goals. So that's where always is that disconnect and that tension is, you know, you know, it's a food food pusher for one. So just stop asking me if I say no, just it's enough, but to scold me for my choice or say, no, I'm fine. And then make a eye roll or something. It's just like that just, it just annoys me because heaven forbid we do the same to her. But, um, so now anymore, it's just more jabs. Uh, I just, so that's not the normal. However, most people are normal in the sense of, oh, that's cool. You don't, you know, I don't smoke and they don't scold me if I don't smoke or drink or whatever. So most people do get it, but it's really never been a battle or an issue or, or a confidence thing for me to say, I don't eat this or I don't, you know, just to make any type of suggestion or exclaim what my goals are. It's only been a problem with my mother-in-law. When you were actively losing 120 pounds, were there people who treated you differently then than now thinking like, wow, he's got this serious goal and I want to support him versus now they say, oh, he's, he's got it under control. He's, he's fine. Let's, let's eat some cheesecake together. Or, or is it just that that's just who you are in their mind? 
Um, I would say it's been those that mattered most understood and were respectful. Those that knew me that were just acquaintances growing up, or I had, you know, through networking mets, you know, they're the ones that are just assholes and say one time won't hurt you if that was the case, or um, um, or those that do know me, they're like, you don't eat full tour tour of Italy's anymore. Hmm. Uh, at Olive Garden's like, no, I don't need to. I would love to, but I just don't need to. And then that offends them for some reason. It's like, I just, you know, that just, I'm just puzzled more or less than annoyed, but um, it's never deterred me, I would say. Whereas most clients, I would, you know, their perception of others could eat, could throw them off. And that talks about the whole self-determination theory of, you know, those threats. But to me, it's never been to that extreme of it affecting me because i'm pretty convicted my goal is their mind if you don't like it fuck off and if you have a problem with it then still i just i don't understand why that would be offensive that i eat this unless it's a righteousness uh or a moral superiority complex and of which then i am the douchebag well there's a couple dynamics there that are interesting nuances and one is that you know, as I said, I, I think most people would find a little extra empathy if they knew somebody was really working towards something. So, you know, you, they know you're on this path and you're doing this thing. They may be more supportive versus just, you know, somebody in college trying to peer pressure their friend into drinking, you know, um, but maybe not. I mean, maybe some people are just jerks and, you know, what have you. But I, I will say I, I've been kind of guilty of this myself in, in just trying to cajole people into having fun. Like, you know, I'll go back to even Tracy, like, Oh, come on, just, just have one shot of tequila or something. And, you know, of course she would say no to that. Um, but you know, but, but what me knowing that she doesn't drink, why would I do that? Uh, you know, and it's because I, I truly want to see her have fun or loosen up or take a step that I think would be good for her not respecting the fact that, like you said, you use the word conviction, like she had the conviction to, to, to not. And so, you know, I'm, I'm certainly guilty of that with some people in some contexts. And, and I don't think many people mean much harm, you know, if any at all. And so that's another perspective, I think, for both people in that situation of how assertive do I get and how, you know, if I can, if I can give them the benefit of the doubt, I'm the non-assertive person, and like Dan said, just be very disarming. So, oh man, thanks. I know, I know you think it'd be great to see me drunk, or you know, you, you, I know you think I'm missing out on on that cheesecake, but truly, I'm I'm good, man. I'm I'm happy. I'm full. Feel great. So, you know, you you kind of project their niceness in in intentionality back to them. And I think, like Dan said, that that would also be disarming. Not not just a compliment, but you know, it takes that moral superiority pressure down. Yeah, I got, another, I got one other comment here. Uh, even though I come from the uh, uh, assertive side and have more and under pressure where some um, non-assertive people become passive, I can become aggressive. And when I was going through my 50 pound weight loss uh, two years ago, uh, my wife would uh, unintentionally uh, stroke some fire underneath me by saying at the end of my plate, are you full? And then one day I just exploded. 
I said, will you stop asking me if I'm full? I haven't been full for months and I'm not going to be full for several more months. I may never be full again. And then she very, uh, uh, thankfully, she said, well, what would you want me to ask you instead? Hmm. So I said, oh, why don't you ask me if I'm done? From that day on, that's what she says. Are you done? And I said, I'm done. And so, boom, the hassle's gone. And by the way, that came from the non-assertive introvert. That was beautiful. What would you like me to say instead? Simple phraseology, right? That, that communication point right there. Like, that, that was it. Like, all we have to do is be on the same wavelength, and, and it fixes everything. Exactly. That's hard to do, though. She was not trying to be, um, uh, you know, uh, difficult. Uh, she's trying to be helpful. So yeah. just by asking, how could I be more helpful? In essence, that one phrase, and that's become our standard. You, you just my my inner Corey light just started blinking red uh, because that's a perfect Coreyism, which is yeah. just ask the person, ask them what they want, ask yeah. them how they would like to be treated, and uh, it, again, it's the hardest thing in the world to do sometimes yeah. in in a relationship is is just to ask. Yeah. Uh, interesting, very interesting. Good, good for you guys. And I think that's important too, because again, when we're talking about people, you know, uh, on this weight loss journey, uh, teaching the people around you how to support you, um, directly or indirectly, uh, can be a great skill to have because it'll take a lot of these pinch points away, or at least soften them up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, I would, I would say that's what. Uh that's what's you know been so annoying with my mother-in-law is there's, there's that not, there's not a mutual respect you know i'll have your cookies but then there's no reciprocation in the sense of just respecting if i say no or whatever it may be whereas my parents you know they obviously are more biased but you know they would ask what i'm wanting to eat or willing to eat at that time etc and they're just more conscientious in the sense of what are you willing or not and how can we just be middle grounded so that none of us are miserable and it's just simply asking my my mother-in-law avoids confrontation although she'll be the first to bitch about something but it's uh just definitely an interesting uh just it's just opposite of the same coin in terms of the of the you know the parents i guess well you have uh, you, you, you kind of answered both sides of the coin that you could potentially flip in one is that like Dan, you could say, Hey, sweet mother-in-law, you know, I, I've kind of felt this anxiety for a long time. And, you know, because this is who I am, because these, these are my health choices. It would really help me out if you just understood and respected my thoughts here. And we just kind of, we didn't go down this conversation every time I see you, like, but the other side of that coin, Kevin, is if she truly doesn't have the emotional intelligence to even understand that, you just have to be the grown up and just just deal with it. Just just like don't let it get you riled up. Like just say, okay, here I know she's gonna do it. I'm gonna have the kindest, nicest answer, and I'm just gonna let it go. And and I know that's not the best thing to do for us because again, it could still kind of build up that resentment. You know what's coming. But anyway, I mean, yeah, I, I definitely. 
I, I feel that tension every time you bring it up. So I know, I know it's deep inside there. That's why I don't come to Indiana as often. Uh, I'll just avoid it. Well, you can, you can let her continue the journey up to her parents and you just, you just stay here with me. There you go. Just, just make me a bed. I'm, I'll probably be down in two weeks. Sweet. Well, we'll have some work to do then. But I, I appreciate you guys being here. Good, good conversation. You really brought out the discussion part that I wanted because the study itself, I know, was just so, so finely pointed. They, they did it in such a precise way uh, to extrapolate just the, the one single thing they wanted. And, and you guys really brought it to life. So um, if you get a chance, like I said, Tyler and I will be recording the 20 minute or so podcast today. Uh, it may just be kind of a repeat. I'll, I'll probably just quote you guys the whole time. That'll be my contribution. <laughs> but uh, you guys have a great week, and I will see you next week when you can. Okay, guys. Have a great weekend. Thanks, John. See you. Bye, Dan. Bye. All right, guys.